Our scriptures again from Second Peter 3, beginning in verse 7. The heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed, laid bare for all to see. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. I'll stop there. Today, we return then to the words given to us here in Second Peter 3 and remind ourselves of the reason why we took these few weeks of detour over into the book of Revelation and, and there studied all about this soon coming end that Peter is referring to here, this soon coming end of this earth and our life on it. Here beginning in verse 10 are those dramatic words. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, that's without any forewarning, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be laid bare for all to see. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the return of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now may I remind us that although these words are very stern words of warning, that God doesn't leave us without hope. These words confirm to me that while God surely will be ever so severe in the turmoil of the last days, and we studied all about that in the book of Revelation, he will be ever so severe during those last days. He is also ever and always kind to anyone and everyone who will turn and give their hearts to him. Those are words of promise in Romans 11, verse 22. Listen to these words. Behold then the kindness and the sternness, 
the kindness and the severity of God. To those who fall, severity. But to you, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Stern warnings, but given with kindness and promise. Why? It's because this is our loving father. This is our loving father. Loving father who over thousands of years that this world has been in existence has with such great patience and love endured with us, with man and with man's continual turning to his own way. And so here he gives us these words that are both assurance and encouragement for us to make right choices. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. You can imagine all of these years since Christ was born and he gave those chapters there in Matthew about how the end would come and it will come soon, he said. Here he's saying the Lord is not slow. He's not slow. It's been 2,000 years, yes. But he's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then in verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. A thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. There's been two of those thousand years now since he gave most of these words, but he's not being slow. God is patient and he's kind towards his beloved creation, giving us every opportunity and numerous extensions of time. But then there will be a limit. There will be a limit to his patience. In other places in Scripture, we're told that he'll not strive with us forever. There will come a time, and it really does seem even now fast approaching, when the people of this world will reach a point of no return. No return. Completely corrupt and simply no longer redeemable. It's a sad thought, but it's fast on its way. And God's solution to our corrupt condition seems also to be fast on its way. But according to these words, the solution that He will bring will not be a solution that the world and the lost people of this world are hoping for. These words tell us plainly that the solution to this unredeemable condition is to completely destroy this earth and everything on it, to wipe away this earth, and everything that exists. And then to create a whole brand new one. One where sin and corruption will never again exist. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be laid bare for all to see. But according to His promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's just as we've been studying over these past few weeks, in the twinkling of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye without any forewarning, God will suddenly begin to take those step-by-step measures that will completely wipe away this world, as we know it today at least, and then to create everything brand new, Again, he'll start with the rapture and then that seven year tribulation and then the destruction, the complete destruction 
of this earth. Wipe it away completely and then create a whole new, brand new earth. A joyous kingdom and home where the righteous will reign for all eternity. Recall those words again. We just studied them in the last two weeks. Chapter 21 of Revelations where he says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things will have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Listen, this is all very, very real. And it truly can be yours and mine. But only if we're willing to do our part. Only if we're willing to do our part. And our part is such a very simple one. We have only to open up our hearts and by faith receive the precious gift of salvation that the Lord Jesus provides and then he'll do the rest. He will do the rest. And I want to take a moment and rehearse for us again that precious experience. That experience when God so lovingly invades our wretched souls and redeems us from our sins. These words that I'm going to say to you come from Ezekiel chapter 36 beginning in verse 26. There God tells us first that he reaches in to our wretched flesh and he removes our old heart of stone. He then gently replaces our old heart of stone with a heart of flesh, one that he can mold and and shape into a heart that can eventually love him and can desire his presence. And then next, he puts a new spirit within us, a whole new spirit within us, a spirit that can receive his spirit. And then he does that. He puts his Holy Spirit within our spirit. And we are immediately and eternally reborn into a whole new person. The old is gone. The new has come. And as a new person, we're then able to begin to think whole new thoughts and have whole new desires and behaviors. What a sweet and glorious change that is. And each one of you, by your profession of faith, have experienced that. Exactly what I've said. But we do need to rehearse this to each other all of the time. Remind ourselves of what Christ has done. Now again, the only thing that is required of you and me is to by faith receive this precious gift from Him. And then His promises will begin to flow from Him into us and then through us and out to other people. That's the way He does it. And as He does that, you and I become whole new and different people, able then to begin to actually be the kind of beloved children He wants us to be as we wait for this soon coming future days that are spoken about here and over in the book of Revelation. Now again, I plead with us to believe these words and to accept that they really are true. 
and that it really is worth all that we will have to endure during this present life to receive it. But with all that being said now, there are still requirements that remain for us that He's referring to here. Verse 10, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be laid bare. And then these words, listen. Since all these things are thus to be destroyed, dissolved and destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? What sort of people ought you to be? You're saved. But now what sort of people ought you to be? That's the question that's being asked of us in this portion of this chapter. He's saying since then that we know that this whole world and this life are going to suddenly come to an abrupt and violent end. What sort of people ought you and I to be as we live out these days? Think about that. You don't have to think too long because he actually gives us a hint at the end of that very verse. He ends his question with the words, in lives of holiness and godliness. And then he tells us in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found without spot or blemish and at peace. So, this is our quest for the remaining days of our lives. To live lives of holiness and godliness without spot or blemish and at peace. And you and I need to get about that. That's our quest. But how do we do that? How do we live lives of holiness and godliness? And how can we be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace? And one of the reasons we need to ask ourselves that question is because as we learned just two or three weeks ago, you and I are going to suddenly stand in judgment. And we're going to answer this question. He's going to say to you, why did you not do this? I gave you the instructions. Let's think about it. These words actually call us to have a twofold quest. The first words first address our own souls. How we ourselves are to get about living godly lives. But implicit within all of these commands in these scriptures is a command that we also minister that same godliness at the same time that we are ourselves learning and, and, and living out godly lives. We are also to minister those, that same godliness to other people around us, both to those that are saved and to those that are unsaved. But he says, first, look to yourself. You and I cannot properly minister to others without first equipping ourselves with holiness and godliness. And so how do we do that? The Lord gave the Apostle Peter the words that we needed all through this chapter. What we have to do is understand, first of all, that when He gives us a command, He always, He always also gives us everything that we need to carry it out. He never gives us a command without giving us everything that we need to carry it out. And that's what He tells us there in chapter 1 of this book of Second Peter. He says in verse 3 of chapter 1, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Do you see that? 
He has given us, His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Notice, it's through our knowledge of Him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Through these, through, through His own glory and goodness, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate, listen to this, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Wow, what a promise that is. That you and I can leave these doors today And we have everything that we need to escape the corruption of the world all around us and to escape our own evil desires. We have no excuse. We have everything that we need. We have the salvation of Christ to begin with. Then we have His Holy Spirit abiding within us. And then with that, we have absolutely everything. And He uses that word everything. Everything, everything we need to live lives of godliness and holiness without spot or blemish or and that peace. And so what's required is for you and me to go ahead and get about it as if we really do have everything that we need and not stand around wondering, how do we do that? This past week, I was reminded in a very simple way of a sermon that I heard some years ago. I mentioned earlier, it was about Jesus's miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Part of that sermon that I heard addressed the instruction, very simple instruction that Jesus gave to Lazarus's friend when just after he called Lazarus to come forward. Come out. And he says to the friends, "Help remove Lazarus's grave clothes." Such a simple command. Most everything or everything that Jesus says has practical implications, but also spiritual implications. And we have to look for that. And don't just believe that Jesus is saying, help unravel those old grave clothes. And listen, the instruction that he gave to Lazarus' friends are for you and me and our friends. As we come out of our unsaved condition, our old dead condition, into this new life with Christ, it is so very much like being raised from the dead. We were once dead. Remember, we studied all about that in the book of Ephesians. We were dead, dead, but now we're alive. But like Lazarus, We come out of that old dead condition into life still draped with all of those old grave clothes of the old life and the stench of death oozing out from each piece of that cloth that's wrapped around us. Their habits, habits and mannerisms and corrupt ways, corrupt beliefs. They were comfortable to us in that old dead life. But now they're not to be a part of this new life. And we need to get those old grave clothes, those corrupt ways, habits, mannerisms, got to get them off of us as quickly as possible. Because you see, Satan is going to use them in those early moments of our salvation and he'll use them to drag us down. 
And that's going to require work on your and my part. And let me assure you that you and I still have, it doesn't matter how long we've been a believer, we still have some of those old grave clothes on us. Some of those old habits and beliefs. Well, I just believe this or that. How many times have you heard your fellow Christians say that? Well, get rid of that. You and I have these. And we need to, as at the end of Psalm 139 that I read earlier, says, Lord, examine me carefully. And if there be any grievous thing within me, lead me in the way of righteousness everlasting. We need to search our own hearts and say, what do I have within me that I brought into this relationship? Listen, when a husband and wife first get married, they can't bring any of their old ways with them. Not many of them. They can't bring old girlfriends or old boyfriends or any old kinds of sin into that marriage. That's what Jesus is saying. You're my bride. You don't bring any of that with you. Remove those grave clothes. And then he says to our friends, help remove those grave clothes. But then he says to us, oh, while while they are helping you, you've got to remember they also need for you to help them remove their old grave clothes. We cannot bring, let me say that again, we cannot bring all those beliefs and habits and ways of death into our new life. The old is gone. Everything about us is now new. You recall that God tells us clearly how to become new creatures that He wants us to be while He waits for us. Listen, He says this in 2 Peter 1. I read these earlier. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So now you have faith that is enough for salvation. And so you are now saved. And this is what He says... This is how then you literally remove those old grave clothes by putting on new clothes, ones of righteousness and holiness. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and then to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, uh, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, Love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the answer. That's the answer to the question there in verse 11. Since all these things, the world and all the lost people, are going to be destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be? It's this. It's this. This is the answer. This is how you and I will be able to live lives of Holiness and godliness without spot and blemish and at peace. We'll do it by adding to that faith by which we were saved. Goodness. Goodness, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. Godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, love. Now he tells us that we have one other obligation as we get about living our lives of holiness and godliness. It's verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And this has to do with what must not only come into us, but flow out of us. He tells us in Matthew twenty four fourteen. he says, and this gospel of the kingdom, all this that you're learning as you dig into the depths 
of these truths from God. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness unto the nations. And listen, and then shall the end come. Can you and I hasten the day of the coming of the Lord? He says we can, right here in these words. And how do we do that? It is this obedience to the Great Commission that you and I be instruments of drawing lost souls to Christ and salvation and then teaching them and discipling them. And then our doing that will hasten the day of His coming. So then, as we leave these precious words of Second Peter, are you up for this last challenge that He gives to us here in these words? The challenge there in verse 11. Since all these things, the world and all the lost people on it, are thus to be destroyed, what sort of people ought you, ought I, to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the day of God? That's our challenge. And that's our quest. Let's pray.